This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Hall of Famer Alan Fanica, and you're listening to Ira and Clark on the iTest for Two. Well, that, of course, is the Marine Corps hymn, and I asked our producer, Ian Glendon, to pull it for a couple reasons. One, it's Veterans Day, and two, my dad was a career officer in the United States Marine Corps, and he fought in three wars, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam, and I'm uh, very proud of him then, it was then, and I am today. Uh, I hope Veterans Day gets your attention, and uh, quite honestly, I hope this does too. Ira Kaufman's back with us, ladies and gentlemen. He's back after a week in the Caribbean. Welcome back, Ira. Was that a vacation or a self-imposed exile from Ian and me? It was our 40th anniversary. Oh, congratulations. And we celebrated in style on the island of St. Thomas. We had to get a COVID test. And uh, you had to have a green flash on your phone. Otherwise, they uh, they stop you and send you back on the plane to uh, Miami. But um, it was wonderful. Um, Clark, I'll say this about Veterans Day. Um, I, my thought is, if you're not, if you haven't been there, you have no idea what these men and women have experienced. No idea. And that's why returning veterans don't want to talk about their experiences. That's right. Clark, that's they right. don't want to talk about it. Yeah. So everybody says lip service to veterans and Clark, when we see them, at an airport, we say thank you for your service. It seems it seems incredibly inadequate, Clark. Inadequate. No, no I agree that. with you. I agree with you, Ira. And when my dad came back from Vietnam, he had the Fifth Marines Regiment over there. He didn't talk much about it, never did, but I saw some things that he'd written down at some time and it was really sort of illuminating. Uh, Ian, uh, I will ask you, you're much younger than the two of us. Do you have any uh, relatives, uh, aunts, uncles, father, mother, sisters, brothers involved in the military? Yeah, actually, uh, my mom spent time in the Air Force when I was younger, and then my grandfather was in the Army. So he was, uh, I believe he was in Vietnam. So um, he passed away a long time ago, about 20 years ago now, unfortunately. But um, yeah, those are the two experiences I have. I think on my father's side, there's a bunch of military experience, but I don't know as much. But but yeah, there, there's there's quite a bit. So obviously, you know, you try to respect their thoughts and, and everything like that and kind of try to honor them best you can where we are. So. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And of course, there are plenty of persons involved with the NFL who've been involved with the military as well. And the most notable, most recent, I think, of course, is uh, the late Pat Tillman, uh, who people remember and, uh, and and rightly so. And there's a statue of him outside of the stadium in Arizona. And uh, I always think about it when I go by there uh, and what he did and, and what people who are in the military have done. But uh, anyway, special day of observance. And Ira will tell you, special day of observance. Again, thank you. For being here and congratulations on 40 years of marriage but while you were gone yeah while you're gone there was an interesting conversation that the uh, hall of fame voters had with the new president and that's jim porter who of course was friend of the show on here three weeks ago and in that call he reiterated what he told us in fact he plugged the i test for two podcast which we appreciated um by saying how open he is to expanding your cl- th- uh, class uh, any thoughts on that well, Clark, I know you'll uh, share this thought. Um, you got to give you got to give a whole bunch of credit to uh, our, our friend, 
uh, our dear friend Rick Goslin. He he's been a voice in the wilderness, and then Clark, you jumped in to support him. And I think it's a growing movement. And anybody who says there's enough contributors to match how many seniors that that's just that's just silly. Uh, there there is not a list of uh, 50 contributors. That's right. Meanwhile, there's a list of 120 seniors that deserve to have their cases heard. So um, I'm very impressed with the early days of the Porter administration, Mr. Judge. Yeah, I'm, I'm not only impressed, I'm more encouraged than ever, Ira, because he promised that he would get in touch with voters. And I thought, OK, let's see what happens. And he followed through. And I think everyone who was involved said I was impressed because there were no limits whatsoever. He didn't try to cut anyone off. He didn't try to stop anyone short. He said, I'm going to listen to that, take it under advisement, and I'm going to the board of directors next month in December and tell them that we're working on this. And I want to get back in touch with you guys to get some specifics. He's really on this. And the thing that's interesting to me is there's no limit. I mean, you talk about, how about going to two? He said, I, I don't know why you'd stop at two, maybe three, whatever. Let's just see what we can come up with. But he wants to get it right. And I think that's the important message. Um, also, Ira, while you were gone, um, we lost one of the game's most memorable players, and that was former Baltimore Colts running back Tom Maddy, who passed away at 82 due to complications from leukemia. Now, Tom is most notably known as the emergency quarterback who played in the 1965 Western Conference playoff game against Green Bay with a wristful of plays. But people forget he was also the guy who was so good. He scored three times in the 1968 NFL championship game against Cleveland, Baltimore, won 34 to nothing. And he ran for 116 yards on only 11 carries in Super Bowl three, which, of course, was the Jets and Namath Super Bowl. But someone who didn't forget is with us today. And that's Upton Bell, who's former NFL executive, who was the scouting director in Baltimore when Maddie was there and who later became GM of the New England Patriots at the age, Ian, you're a Patriots fan, at the age of 33 the league's youngest GM at the time, that was 1971, and then went on to become a talk show host and a radio commentator. And Upton is also, as most people should know, the son of the late Burt Bell, who's a former NFL commissioner. And we are very pleased and fortunate to have him with us today. Upton, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, by the way, uh, gentlemen, I was the youngest general manager in NFL history and the youngest to get executed a year and a half year later. <laughs> Congratulations. So that, that, that's, a, that's a great distinction. One other thing, too, is that I own the World Football League Charlotte Hornets, which today is an NFL franchise in Charlotte, North Carolina. And my first two partners were Arnold Palmer and Ted Turner. Wow. And oh, I, I can tell you stories about that that are unbelievable. But anyway... It's great to be on, and it's also great to honor somebody like Tom Matty. And I will say this, being the son of a commissioner, I saw the 1948 championship game in the snow in Philadelphia, which was the first national television game in history of the NFL. I was at the 58 game, the sudden death game that changed the history of pro football. The 68 game I suffered through as a personnel director of the Baltimore Colts and one of the biggest upsets of all time. But I, in my mind, they take a backseat to one of the greatest, probably untold stories in NFL history. That was Tom Maddy, 
over three games, putting on one of the great performances, not as a passer, but as a quarterback and a human being that I've ever seen. This is the most overlooked game, I think, in NFL history, as far as playoffs are concerned. Also, there's a book coming out this month, I think, by a former Harvard professor by the name of David Kaiser on that season and capturing all the things that we're going to talk about today. Oh, good. I mean, I'm glad you referenced that game because we might as well go straight through it, to it. Um, that was in 1965, the Colts and the Packers tied for the Western Conference title. They were 10-3-1. and one. And they did it after the Colts beat the Rams in the season finale, 21-17. to 17. And Upton, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I was a diehard Colts fan. They got Ed Brown, I think, for that game. And Ed Brown, and, and maybe Maddie as well, played in that game. But then Ed Brown was ineligible for the playoff game, correct, with the Packers. Is that correct? That, that, that is correct. In fact, Art Rooney, who I think had, had a soft spot in his heart for United since right. they stupidly cut him. Uh, uh, we, we called him on a Friday and asked if they would make Ed Brown available. We were in desperate shape. Uh, you know, Maddie, even though he came in, uh, during the, the uh, a game before that, uh, basically we need somebody that was a quarterback full-time. And they agreed to put him on waivers. We claimed him. Brown was on a plane, comes to L.A., and, of course, the rest is history. Yeah, and right. ironically, see, I, I think this season was so strange, almost ghostly, what happened, because if Ed Brown was eligible to play in the playoff, he would have played against Green Bay uh, two weeks later after right. we beat the Rams, uh, but he wasn't eligible. So fate was on Maddie's side, and, and he rose to the occasion. Uh, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. And I've seen games now for almost 70 years, going all the way back to a childhood of watching big games, the all-star games in Chicago, all of those games. But this one game, uh, to me, was one of the most dramatic moments in NFL history. And you can tell your new director at the Hall of Fame, let's get with it on this game. Yeah, we will, because we're in constant touch with him. So, yeah, I will. But let's give our, <laughs> give, let's give our listeners sort of a background to that game, Upton, because Unitas wasn't there because he got hurt. A backup Gary Quaza wasn't there because he got hurt. So they had to find somebody. Tom Maddy was an All-American quarterback at Ohio State. But, of course, he was a star running back with the Baltimore Colts. And in that game, I, I remember thinking they had no chance. It was played in Green Bay, Lambeau Field, cold game. And on the first series, Starr throws an interception. And I don't know, was it Shinnick who intercepted it? It was, it was Shinnick. Yeah. And if you go back, if you go back to Clark, I know you said I think you got the film of that game. I do. If you if you go back to it, you'll notice the only time I think I've seen in NFL history, Charlie Winter, who later on became the coach of the Cardinals and then came back to Shula in Miami, was our defensive coach. When Shinnick picks up the ball and runs towards the Green Bay end zone, you can see on the sideline Charlie Winter. In, you know, in those days, they weren't in coaching togs, shoot, a, shirt, a shirt tie, and yes. of course an overcoat, running the sideline with, with him all the way, with Shinnick all the way till he makes a touchdown. I said, 
God, this is unbelievable. I've never seen this before. Well, and, and the reason it was such a memorable game, not just because Maddie played it, but Starr got hurt on that play. So in the opening cool. series, Starr is gone, and Zeke Bradkowski comes in, and the Colts lead 10-0 at the half. And I thought, my God, they're going to win this game. They are going to win this game with a running back at quarterback with plays strapped to his wrist. And, of course, we know that wasn't the case because the game-tying field goal by Don Chandler, a 22-yarder, it missed. But Jim Tunney, who was the referee, called it good. And so they go into overtime, and the Packers won 13-10 in overtime. But after that season, they extended the uprights. And I know Tunney insists that the, the call was right, but you're right, Upton. I, I bought that film, 60-millimeter film, rolled it. And you could see the ball going wide right and Chandler grabbing his helmet like what have I done and they go oh you just got in a field goal what we're going to overtime and so it changed the game too because they changed the uh, uprights well it, it it did and there were many heroic moments if I can use that term in, the, in this game now a lot of people don't know this but before the game a day before Maddie who we knew had ulcers uh, when he was drafted out of Ohio State, I, I was in that first training camp. And, and you could see he was a tremendous athlete. He wasn't going to be the quarterback, uh, of course, we, because we had United, but we, Eubanks, saw him as somebody that could do a lot of different things, which he could. And I would say in some ways, if you look at his career, uh, he's kind of a borderline Hall of Famer because he could do everything. He was, he was one of the first. He and, and kind of Paul Horning were were the first two. Horning went to the Hall of Fame that basically they could catch a football out of the backfield, which you see all the time today. They could block. They could run on key plays. They, they were very, very smart. He could do everything. But, but the thing with the day before uh, that game in Green Bay, Tom Matty had a bleeding ulcer. And I believe he quietly or secretly, I think his wife Judy told me, that he went into the hospital secretly mm. uh, because he didn't want anybody to know that. Uh, he didn't want the Packers to know that. And he didn't want anybody to think, well, the pressure is too much for this guy. <clears throat> and it, it wasn't true because basically, Matty always had ulcers. And everybody used to get on, well, Tom, how's, how's the ulcers today? Or there's Chatty Matty. And he was, he was very outgoing and a fun guy, but if I could take you back, because I was on the sideline for when Unitas went down, and then when Quaza went down, and then when Maddie took over. And, and if you ever said this was a season that was unforgettable, because where did you ever lose one of the greatest players, if not he and Tom Maddie, the, the two greatest quarterbacks I've ever seen, uh, go down? And then where? There's Gary Coazzo come in, and then Coazzo throws something like five touchdown passes against the Vikings, and you think, okay, we're going to be all right. And then he goes down, and Matty comes in. And it's funny, the game that Matty comes in, he says, he said to, to uh, Jimmy Orr, what do you got? And Orr said, what I got, you don't have an arm strong enough to get it to me. <laughs> so then, then he says to Raymond Berry, what do you got? Barry says, very deadpan, only in Raymond Barry. I got nothing. <laughs> so, so Maddie decides, of course, 
to run the football. And that's right. that's that's the best way to do it. But but again, here's the other improbable part of this season that I think is unforgettable. And thank you for trying to illuminate this, Clark. Both of you guys. What happened was we go in the final game, we get Ed Brown, Maddie runs the ball enough, Brown throws one touchdown pass, we beat the Rams. Now, we come back the next day and Shula said, because there, there was no national television game of the Packers and the 49ers. And a lot of people don't know that either a tie or a win would send it to a playoff game. And all the things you say to yourself, there's no way there's going to be a tie. You know, so Shula had arranged for us as a team and front office to watch the game together at a hotel in, outside of, of uh, Baltimore. We got the feed of the game. And you're saying to yourself, as the game begins <clears throat> to wind down, that the 49ers should be beating the Packers. The Packers were very vulnerable that year. In spite of them winning five out of seven, they were very vulnerable. So what happened was, in the end, it ends up a tie. And how many people around the country knew the tie meant that there would be a playoff game? And then with that, play Christmas Day or the day right day after Christmas. But that week, you would never see anything like it again. Baltimore was deluged. People coming in from all over the country. What a story. Storybook story. They're calling Woody Hayes. What about Maddie? Uh, Tex Mall, who was the power yeah. at that time, Sports Illustrated called and said, I want to come in and spend part of the week getting that you know, the feeling of Baltimore. And of course, Baltimore was a town that was really out of Thornton Wilder's our town. The the Colts were it. Right. Everything about it. And and that week, even CBS, unlike today, where where if you drop a shoe, everybody's on it. CBS sent in a crew to talk about the city and this whole incredible story. And I mean, that's one of the first times, if not the first time, this has ever happened, which set the stage for that historic game that Clark, you were talking about. <clears throat> but so many things happened that game before we even got to the kick. Hmm. The interception. Shinnick running down the sidelines, Charlie Winner following him, and then Bart Starr getting knocked out, as you pointed out. Shinnick ran over him. And I thought, well, he'll get up. He didn't get up. Right. Now, if, if again, Lombardi didn't trade or pick up Zeke Praktowski, they're dead. We might run away with the game in spite of having a quarterback that's not a passer. But he comes in and kind of settles it down. Then you come to the end of the first half and one of the great goal line stands I've ever seen. I mean, they were literally Green Bay with two Hall of Fame runners, Horning and Jimmy Taylor. They're on the one-yard line. They got essentially four, three cracks at the goal line, and we stopped them each time. They kicked the field goal, and we're able to go in and at the end of the first half, lead. And everybody figured there's no way. Sooner or later, the Packers are going to catch up. But that defensive effort that day was the likes of I've probably never seen again. 
because you knew you you knew the defense knew that we had to keep them in the game. Right. They knew that, and and all that is one of the reasons why I really believe the ultimate sport is football. The ultimate game, uh, even even today with what we have with thirty two teams, is is the will of of a team knowing their back is against the wall. It might sound storybook. Knowing that, and knowing that there wasn't Unitas or even Quazo or even Ed Brown to pull them out, it was Maddie or nothing. Yeah, Incredible that's right. story. That's right. Upton, um, I, I'm so glad we get to talk to somebody with, with your perspective. So I want to ask you uh, about your dad, uh, you know, his tragic passing in, in 59 at the game, and you were there, Upton. Um, now, often in the, my life. Yeah. In the 50s, you know, baseball, boxing was big. But Upton, football was coming on. Pro football was coming on. So <laughs> I want to ask you, in your mind, um, you, the legacy of, of your late father, what, what, what's, what are some of the points you want to make about his legacy? Well, first of all, if I could quickly speak to Veterans Day, uh, because this wouldn't happen again either. Thanksgiving Day, 1917, Burt Bell has been voted for the next year to be captain of Penn. He is the quarterback that has led them uh, a few months before to the Rose Bowl and through the first pass in Rose Bowl history. They played that day, Thanksgiving Day, and the next day, his Penn teammates, led by him and a man called John B. Kelly, Grace Kelly's father, went down and registered uh, for the draft for the First World War. And he went to the First World War and was actually cited by General Pershing and, and by the president of France for his bravery in the field. Uh, so he was a veteran. And as you were talking about it, he never talked about it. I didn't know any of this until after he died. But back to the things that he did for pro football that is still around today. He stopped the gambling scandal in 1946. Now the NFL is in bed with gambling. He initiated, of course, the pro football draft, which saved every sport, and is, is the really still the biggest thing in the NFL today. Now televised, millions watch it around the country. He put in the rule of sudden death. And why did he do that? Simple. He said to the owners, he said, what happens if a championship game ends up in a tie? Are we going to look ridiculous and flip a coin for the team that plays, which was big in those days, the Chicago All-Star game? He said, or are we going to do what I proposed? A 15-minute overtime, first team to score, sudden death. That, made, that really made the NFL. Think about that. The draft, the, the sudden death game. Uh, stopping gambling. He put in waivers. The thing you see today where you have to give notice within 48 hours of who's injured, who's on that list, that was Burt Bell. He hired ex-FBI men in each city to follow any known gamblers to find out what the point spread was. He, did, he stopped the NFL from closing during the Second World War. They, there was a vote Let's close it down. Other, other people are, we don't have enough people to play. He said, if you close it down now, 
It will never reopen again. And there's a there's a league on the horizon called the Old All America Conference, i.e., the Browns, the Colts, and the 49ers. And he said, if you do this, we're through. And by one vote, he as a club owner then uh, talked them out of it. By that time, he was in Pittsburgh. Even during the war, he and Art Rooney, they twice emerged with the Chicago Cardinals and with the Philadelphia Eagles. And there's a famous book that was written about it. I got in touch with the author called The Steagles. It's an incredible story. So all everything that you see today, he was the father of modern television. A lot of people don't know this. In 1934, NBC came to the Eagles and him and said, uh, you're playing the Brooklyn Dodgers. And they did have a, a, a football team then. And he said, we'd like to televise it to coincide with the World's Fair. Bert Bell said, go ahead, television is the future. And that was the first game televised. And he, between he and then Pete Rozelle later on, he was the father of modern television. He was the one that signed, you can look it up, the old Dumont Network. He went to them and he said, I want a Saturday night game of the week. And in the 50s, in black and white, he designed a football that was white with black stripes. That on Saturday night was must see until the colleges came to him and said, uh, you know, you're invading on our territory. Will you please stop? If he hadn't said to them, okay, I will do it, you wouldn't be seeing Monday night football. You'd be seeing Saturday night football. <laughs> so, <Hey>. so the, <laughs> Upton, um, you, I, I know you're very near and dear to your New England roots, so I want to run something past you, Mr. Bell. Um, and I'm I've a Philly to, guy. You're a, a Philly, Philly guy, guy first, but, but you know <laughs> you know New England sports very well, uh, Upton. So I told Clark that I don't think any other city has a Mount Rushmore of sports like Boston. And I'm going to present to you my four, and you tell me where I'm wrong. Okay. Bobby Orr, Ted Williams, Bill Russell, and Mr. Tom Brady. Where am I wrong? Four for four. Whoa. Four for one. The only person that I might add as the as a fifth would be Larry Bird. Right. Be because he... He changed the game in, he was like a six foot nine forward guard, maybe one of the best. He and Bob Cousy are among the, the best passers in basketball, along with Magic Johnson I've ever seen. But th and, those uh, four, all, all of those four, or changed the game in a defenseman being able to be an offensive force. In the case of Russell, he brought defense to the game and and change it completely. Without Russell, the Celtics don't win all those championships. With Brady, I would say this, because I, I, I have three television sets. I watch the Red Zone on Sunday, and I watch the Patriots on one, another one, and then I watch Fox, whatever the game of the week is. As, as long as, of course, Aaron Rodgers agrees to play. But... <laughs> Oh my God! Don't get me started. Oh, no, don't worry. <laughs> so, so what? What? When you when you look at Tom Brady, I say 
Tom Brady and Unitas are alike in many things. The difference is Unitas had a great arm, a better arm than Brady. But you want somebody who will put a dagger in your heart. It's Unitas and Brady, all at the, at the right time, you know, just waiting for you to make a mistake. They were bo now, both. Now, uh, Upton, Upton, uh I also, along those lines, I want to throw this in there. Um, and I love the fact that you saw this guy play. You might have been a teenager, but you saw him play. And Clark and I don't think he gets enough respect. And that man is Otto Graham. What can you say about Otto Graham, Upton? Well, one what, what of your, your former teammates there, Ron Borges, did a book with me on it. And I picked my top 10 quarterbacks. And Otto Graham was right in there. He might have been my fifth or sixth. Now, I let, let me tell you another story. I got a thousand of them. But 1950, after my father had affected the merger between the All America Conference and the NFL, we went to the Browns camp. And uh, this was before they were due to play the world champion Eagles. And we spent a week there. <clears throat> I watched Otto Graham, Marion Motley, Max Speedy, Dandy Lavelli, Bill Willis, uh, you, you name it, uh, Lou the Toe, the automatic Lou the Toe Groza. Graham was a tremendous athlete. Graham was also a terrific basketball player at Northwestern. There's nothing he couldn't do. And I remember saying to my father on the way back on the train, I said, I think the Browns are going to beat the hell out of the Eagles. And, and my father said, Upton, shut up. Don't say that to any newsman. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I'm going to say how wonderful Cleveland is, but it should be a, an even game. And when they were beating them like 30 to 3, I remember kind of kicking my father and laughing uh, because <laughs> the world was shocked. But Graham is right in my top 10 of all time maybe one of the greatest athletes that ever played the position. And let me also tell you this. And watching today's game, where you've got 32 teams, 16 of them are really mediocre. In those days, remember, again, just like we were talking about Baltimore and Green Bay, who dominated the 60s. Then if you, there were no, there, now we have seven, seven playoff teams, please. How soon is it going to be 32? <laughs> then if you didn't win your conference, you didn't go to the championship game. There were no playoff games unless there was a tie. And Graham, his record of championship games that he played in, I think it was like seven for 10. That's right. Eight, it was seven for 10. Seven for 10. And, and he and, also started on the NBA Syracuse Nats that won an NBA championship. Uh, absolutely. And so he, of all of the quarterbacks, you think about great athletes. And today the quarterback is more, can run, can do a lot of different things. Uh, but you, you look at that. What, what quarterback today could go play in the NBA? Yeah, right. Well, I, uh, Upton, I got a couple quick questions. We're running out of time, but a couple quick ones. Since you mentioned Philadelphia, I thought Ira was going there, but I will. He went to Cleveland instead there with that story. But there's a guy that I'm really interested in in terms of seniors 
with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We opened the show by saying how the new commissioner is more open, new commissioner, the new uh, pro football uh, head of operations, the president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and that's Jim Porter, how he's more open to an expanded senior class. And the guy that I bring up as the textbook example who should be in, but who's not, is a former Philadelphia Eagle, and that's Al Wister, who played nine years, was an All-Pro for eight of those years, first-team All-Pro for six of those years, all-decade first-team, and a two-time NFL champion. And he was on that 48-team that you watched in the seven, I think it was seven-nothing, in the snow. He's not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You want to make a plug for him? Uh, absolutely. Can I say this? Uh, and all due respect to everybody on your committee, I know more about the old-time players, I think, than anybody alive. Because I saw them going all the way back into the early 40s. Right. And e- even as a kid, uh, remember, you know, I might have been a child, but I really was an adult because I was, my, my father was a quarterback. So I, I knew, I knew the game. And, and I can tell you, Al Wister belongs in. And if I might add this plug, please, a little less on the contributors. I mean, right. there, are, there are a lot of contributors, uh, but very few, I th- think, belong in the Hall of Fame. Uh, let's get less of them and more of the people who made the game, the yeah, football and, players. And, and I think that may happen after listening to Jim Porter. I think that may happen. I'm more encouraged than ever. And the last question, taking this thing full circle, the, the greatest attribute that Tom Maddie had, we started with talking to you about Maddie, And as I said, we're running out of time. But what was his most notable attribute in, in your mind? The ability to, to adjust to anything and all things in a football game. If, if United needed a short pass for, for an important game, he threw it to Maddie. If he needed an important run, and remember, you, you know, at that time, Lenny Moore was moved into a running back uh, from wide receiver and a Hall of Famer. But Maddie was the guy, I think, there were two people that I knew United always would go to, Raymond Berry, and Maddie, and maybe later on John Mackey, one of the great tight ends. But Maddie, Maddie was able to, he was the first back, I think, in pro football that could do it all. And yet you, you see this. Paul Horning, who was a friend of mine, went to the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. kicked field goals, extra point. I thought Maddie was as good as Paul Horning, who's now in the Hall of Fame. He could do everything. And that's hard to find anymore. That's right. Well, Upton Bell, people like you are hard to find anymore, too. Thanks so much for the history lesson. And thanks for steering clear of that Aaron Rodgers conversation. <laughs> thanks very much. Spared <laughs> us some time. Always good catching up with you, Upton. Thanks. Thank Upton. you, guys. That was former NFL executive Upton Bell. And Ira, I, I love hearing people who were there talk about the guys who were there. And, and he clearly had a front row seat to those Baltimore Colts, Unitas and Maddie and Orr and, and Jerry Hill, all those guys, Raymond Berry, that he talked about. We talk about him as observers. Now, I saw him as a kid, and I grew up watching him, and I've got, actually, I've got Tom Maddie's autographed picture on my wall as I got as a kid, and Unitas isn't Berry. But he was there, and he knew what was going on and gave us a great behind-the-scenes tour of what was going on. And he's got a fabulous memory, Clark. He does. A beautiful memory, because he was right there with you on the details. Yep. Um, boy, if anybody could write a sports memoir, Clark, it's up and up.
He's you know. done one with Ron Borges. He has. Yeah. He's done one with Ron Borges. Um, and, and his father died at a game. I know. And he was sitting right next to him, Clark. Yeah, I know. I, I, yeah, I know. I know the story. It's a sad one. Um, but I'll tell you what else is sad here. We got to end the show, Ira. We got to end it so you can go back to the beach and sun yourself. You got any final thoughts? <laughs> well, I'm glad we didn't get into the Aaron Rodgers thing, too, Clark, because it's a joke. Uh, I'll be short and sweet. It's a joke. <laughs> And a terrible look for the National Football League, Clark. Well, I'm glad you said that because I do want to say something about that. We have Commissioner Roger Goodell, and I'm going to turn this one over to Ian. Roger Goodell, he finds Aaron Rodgers, what, $14,600, something like that, $14,650, I think, exact, for being, what, a public health risk. He violated and flouted the COVID protocols, right? Yet he suspended Tom Brady four games for a quote general awareness of error out of a football in i guess there really is a rogers rate right <laughs> uh no comment because that would open the floodgates for me and uh again we want to wrap this show up in a timely fashion and, and 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 uh, i'll just leave it at that but uh i i thought uh slap on the wrist might be oh, a little God. light in describing the penalty <laughs> yeah well, thanks, Ira, for putting in perspective. A joke is right. That's going to do it. Ira, tell people where they can find you on Twitter. At iKaufman76, Mr. Judge. Or on the beaches of St. Thomas, St. John's. Where are you uh, going well, maybe, next? Maybe St. Croix next time. Thanks, Croix. Croix. Okay. Yeah. Ian, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at IGLEN31. And I'm at, at Clark Judge TOF. And if you don't find us there, you can always find us on fullpresscoverage.com or right here next week. At uh, where? Ira, where? The eye, the eye test for two, Clark. The you are correct, sir. Yeah, we'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening.